Hello and welcome. I am William Morgan, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of ThinkBook Radio and TheThinkBook.com, a weekly conversation with the creative and interesting artists and thinkers of our day. Today, I need to ask you, do you enjoy this podcast? Well, we'd like to make it easier for you. Subscribe to 42 Minutes on iTunes or on one of the other RSS options and never miss an episode. We also suggest that you like the ThinkBook on Facebook to stay in the loop of this dynamic Sync community. Links to these options can be found at our website at 42minutes.com. And be sure and write to us if you have any questions or comments or suggestions at thethinkbook at gmail.com. Today, the program gets positive as we spend 42 delicate minutes with the master audio craftsman. Good morning, Doug here, and today the program has the good fortune of meeting Steve Marion, one of our moment's truly exceptional musicians. He is an individual whose art has been described as toppling the barriers of time and space, producing lyrical, instrumental rock from the future, the present, and the past. Delicate Steve is a guitar virtuoso and a truly unique and unlikely guitar hero. He is the composer and mastermind behind two LPs on Luwakabop, 2011's Wonder Visions, which garnered a critic's choice by the New York Times as well as being featured on NPR's Favorite Songs of 2011, and 2012's Positive Force. If you've ever seen him live, you would know just what a positive force he is. Hello and welcome. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing great. I'm on a run right now. I'm trying out this headphone technology while I'm running. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I read about you, that you're a really healthy guy. Where where like are the, you running today? I'm running in Cincinnati, Ohio right now. And is this a stop on a tour that you're on? This is a stop on uh, St. Rich tour that I'm on, which is another band that I'm in that I made with my friend Christian. Um, who plays in Delegate Steve. And, uh, yeah, we're on tour right now with Dr. Dog from Philly. And Oh, Dr. Dog. I know who yeah. Dr. Dog is. I love those guys. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very much your style, too. That should be a good fit for you guys. It's been it's been a whole lot of fun so far. And then is, is your friend the mastermind behind all that music, then? St. Rich was uh, kind of started in the same way that Delicate Steve started, where uh, just hanging out in my room and started recording tunes. This time it was with Christian and I. Um, both of us had some songs we had written by ourselves um, over the years, and then there were moments where the two of us would collaborate in my room on on just a riff or a, a part that happened in the moment. And it kind of happened out of that. So most of the songs uh, on the record for St. Rich are a collaboration between Chris and I. Um, I'll make the music. He'll make the lyrics, or we'll both write the lyrics, and we'll both write the music, or stuff like that. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on our show is because when people were thinking back about their 2013 music moments, I had to share my delicate Steve Treefort experience at that point. Um, I saw your main stage performance and was amazed with both 
the sounds that you produce and the effect you had on the crowd, and people should know that this was an outdoor venue and it was freezing, yet the music you guys were playing really brought a glow to the faces of the people who were there. How how was your Tree Fort experience last year? It was awesome. Um, and I just, that was the first thing that came to my head is, uh, you know, it's these little moments that you remember on tour, like right before we played, um, we saw a band called Deep Sea Diver. Oh, they were so we awesome. Thought, yeah, we never heard of them before. Talked to them after our set. They caught our set too. We've been friends since. Um, on the last tour we did for St. Rich, we hung out in Seattle with Peter and Jess. One of them worked at a coffee spot that's really good. So that was the first thing that I thought of when I thought of our immediate three, four performances. Like, oh, yeah, we met some friends and then we got to hang out with them later. Um, I remember the set being really fun. We love Boise. Um, we know Eric, Gil- Eric Gilbert. Um, I feel like it's be one of the first shows that we ever did as a band. One of the first five shows, let's say, was uh, was in Burlington, Vermont, at some bar, you know, for 15 people. And Eric's band, Ben Regan's played as well, and we got to keep in touch with him. So it's just cool to make connections all along the way, and then Two years, you know, two years later, Eric's got a festival. We're playing it. He's putting the word out about Delegate Steve, and somehow there were, like, a crowd of people there to see us. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, you guys also played, like, an after-hours gig, too, at the El Cora Shrine. Is that right? Oh, yeah. That was, I think, the first. Uh, we might have played there first when we just got into town and then the next day was the headlining stage show. Um, that was really fun too. Fun venue. Uh, we play with unknown mortal orchestra. We've done a show or two with those guys before. So again, really good to, to catch up with those guys. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, there's a lot of music going on. And so it's like a smorgasbord and I tried to taste everything, especially things that, looked new and interesting and you were definitely one of those acts where you know when I first experienced it I didn't know what to do with it because sure. it's it's instrumental music but then after watching your show I, I wonder do you have a background in singing or any vocal training no 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 and that's kind of why it came to be like that uh but going off what you're saying I think that's a lot of people's reaction or at least it feels that way on stage people are ready to have a good time and you got to kind of find a way to like give them permission to to like enjoy it because it's like well what is this i think i like this but (laughs) right i don't know i don't know what it is so i can kind of read that on stage a lot of times and just i think if it were a different band, I would be a different way as a as a frontman in between songs. But it feels like you really gotta disarm the crowd because I don't want anybody to experience this thing, you know, like cerebrally, or to be like, you know, it's not about the 
you know, the time signature of this song or something. So if, if people start to think that that's what it's about, I think they maybe they'll get a little turned off. So try to make it just feel like, oh, there's some guys up on stage playing some playing some songs, and that tends to work a lot of time where people will get a little more relaxed and and be like, you know, I don't know what this is, but I can <laughs> enjoy it and tell people it's a good thing and clap my hands and stuff. So. So the reason why I bring up the vocal training is because the songs really do have a very vocal quality. In fact, on Ramona Re- Reborn, you actually like take a breath before you begin playing, like you know, uh-huh. like a singer would. And is that a, yeah. a conscious thing that you did? Because you're like embodying the song. It's just you're not embodying it with with your vocal cords. You're doing it with your your fingers. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not, it's conscious that I want it to feel like somebody is saying something in the music, that it's not just a bunch of layers on top of layers, and that there is some kind of lead presence on the tracks um, with that particular breath. I think that was from the, like a melodica track or something that I had to breathe into, and mm. I just like the idea of keeping those sounds on to, you know, humanize the music a little more than supposed to cut everything and sharpen it up and, you know, do all that kind of stuff. So it's not conscious, like, I need to put a breath here, but it is a conscious decision to, like, leave it on if it accidentally happens on a tape or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So like Douglas said, there is a very lyrical quality to the sounds of the guitar. I, I'm just wanting to ask one of the most basic interview questions, and that that's who are your influences? Um, you, you just in general, musically, as a guitar player? I, I think um, I'm thinking more of a guitar player because I, I can just, I, I can feel some influences, and I'm just wondering if I asked you straight off who you would associate your sound with? I'm trying to think of it in terms of delicate speed because before this, I was like, the way I thought of myself was, was as a guitar player. And then delicate speed before I had a name or anything, when it was still just me in my room playing guitar, I started to think of everything a little differently. But like the past, eight or so years before making Delicate Steve playing guitar. You know, I'd listen to a lot of the people that I would play along to guitar were like Wayne Allman, John Coltrane, uh, Eddie Hazel, the first Funkadelic guitar player, Jimi Hendrix, Frank Zappa, um, Carlos Santana, uh, trying to think just like a bunch of every time I discovered a you know one of the great guitar players I got really obsessed for a couple months usually and would try to learn what their particular you know uh, tricks were and and then they just kind of naturally some of the stuff would carry over into my my playing because they would just put on a a 30 minute Almond Brothers song and, and just try to play guitar along to it. So 
Um, that's how some of the playing got shaped. And then, but I think like anything for Delicate Steve that has speed guitar stuff, I'm thinking of it more like or that that side of it is being inspired by like like the live Sam Cooke record from Harlem oh, yeah. Square Club or Otis Redding or Stevie Wonder or how how those singers sing. Um and trying to phrase like phrase licks and solo stuff more like how they keep saying like, Oh yeah you know, like input as like a part is just kind of grooving. So that's where a lot of the like that side of the uh, influence being for for delicate D guitar, less from actual guitar players. I can certainly feel the emotion of Otis Redding and and Sam Cooke and stuff like that in there. Um, but you know, speaking of making that record in your bedroom there's a good question as far as you know, independent media and, and do it yourself. Um, especially cause last week we talked to an individual who's basically created a, uh, almost an independent or alternative news empire on his own. So in light of, you know, say the success of Macklemore who just cleaned up and in, in the Grammys, is there anything you have to say about the changing landscape and, and independent music? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I went through it all. I was in the band in high school. That and we, like, we did, we all didn't go to college because we got this record deal from Warner Brothers, um, and made an album with this producer, and it got shelved, and the band got dropped, and classic like major label story. Record never came out. Um, and then after that, before Delicate Steve, I made my own little record label art collective in New Jersey with all my friends. Um, and, you know, both experiences were really fun. Um, and I made music and was in awesome bands with both, both uh, you know, label situations. Um, and you know, it doesn't always work out. Is there a way, difference so. as far as cre- is there a difference between creativity as far as like having the record label, you know, having a say and and doing something on your own merit? Um, it wasn't exactly an issue at the time. Maybe if I was more conscious of and as a band, if we were pushing for more, we might have encountered you know, specific opposition, but it just felt like at the time that's what happened and it was cool. And then when the time came to press up, you know, my own TVs with locals, all my friends on it, record them and be in charge of everything. That was also really fun. Um, and little Akabop came along for Delicate Speed. That was you know, that felt like a really nice balance of of the two. Um, just being able to still be in charge of creative decisions, but to have a 
bigger presence and influence by these guys that have been in the music business for a while. And so that, I think, uh, yeah, I have no complaints about really all either situation. I probably never sign a major label contract right now, but we were like 18 and the other option was go to college. So it was a, <laughs> like an awesome experience to get on a major label and get dropped or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, your musical voice is so realized, it feels like a, a direct translation of your will and intention into sound. Do you feel like you're still discovering and finding your voice, or is it really uh, more of a tool now that, that you explore ideas with? Uh, I think it's always changing um, once it becomes something, because it was never before, never people know it's like it's these. I didn't sound anything like that. Wasn't into any kind of music like that. Wasn't into any kind of like, you know, major chord things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, into more distortion was like playing a lot different and had a voice doing that and thought I was, thought that was me. So I think the, the like greater, uh, characteristic of Delicate Steve is like some kind of self-discovery process or rediscovery or where the voice gets changed into a new thing um, before anything starts to feel stale or formulaic. So, But then do you have a, a noodley background also? I mean, because when people think of guitar heroes or, or virtuosic guitar players, they think of, well, I'm sorry, I'm showing my age, too, now, because <laughs> <laughs> my youth happened right when all the heavy metal Baroqueness happened. And so I think uh-huh. of, like, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and Eddie Van Halen, and it was all hammer-ons and, you know, speed and how many notes can you play? Yeah, but, I mean, nobody in the world that I kind of exist in, I think felt like that. We thought it was too slick and too clean. And so they never felt like guitar heroes to me. Um, well, if like, you think about Jimmy Page on Led Zeppelin two, his, his kind of noodly solo is kind of sloppy and it feels a little more authentic cause it's not. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Page is I forgot to mention, I forgot to mention Jimmy Page before. So, I'm always curious in the idea of control and mastery with the skill, you know, like an artist and their voice. Do you feel like a master? Uh, No, I mean, it feels like I'm just doing what I can do. And, you know, right now I'm getting to jam on stage with Dr. Dog. (laughs) Um, Like I'm on one song every night playing a guitar solo. And... The whole thing is just still a little... I mean, I hope it never becomes normal to me. Uh, Completely normal, at least. You know, like, uh, I'm on stage with this band, and how that came to be was, you know, like, Steve played a a college show with Dr. Dog maybe three years ago, and I had heard two of those songs, two of the Dr. Dog songs before, and thought they were pretty cool, and it was just amazed, you know, we got to open for the band, and I gave Scott the singer um, a Delicate Steve record that day, 
and I didn't even know that he was been a fan since, and just had a bunch of nice things to say about the the records on tour so far talking with him. And it's just, it's awesome. It feels like I just, I don't know what a being a master feels like. So it just feels like I get to get up there and concentrate, play some guitar. And I'm, it never gets old that people are like excited about it. I still am kind of blown away by that part of it. So wow. if a master, I don't know. I don't know what master means, but if it's something where they're where they're like, Yeah, yeah. Thanks, I know, whatever. <laughs> I don't I don't feel like that. Well you're a really positive guy. Um I read about your experiences in two thousand and nine with your heart. Could you talk a little bit about that? And do you think that uh experience shaped your whole outlook and maybe colors the art you create? Oh, completely, yeah. Uh, I was in the best shape of my life uh, at that point in the summer. Uh, some of the guys who I had been playing with, and we were getting a lot of recognition, finally, for the first time in my life, playing music locally um, with this art collective thing. It was going somewhere, and it was exciting, and I was in really good shape. Um and kind of got the news that some of the guys are going to go back to school that following fall, which kind of put a damper on on the dream again, which made me feel really frustrated. Um, and then I just, I had this pericarditis thing happen. I was, I remember I was signing up for a sprint distance triathlon at like two in the morning online. And I was about a week out from doing the Philadelphia Livestrong Challenge, which is a 100 mile bike ride. And I woke up the next day, like seven in the morning, which was very unusual for me. And, and then I had weird heart pain. My arm was going numb. All of a sudden, I kind of got pretty scared, like I was having a heart attack. I didn't know how else to feel about it because I'd never experienced that kind of pain before and didn't know what was going to happen. And just that thought, um, I don't know, that could transform you um, in many ways if it, if it really feels like, uh, I don't know, you have no idea what's going to happen next. You know, it's the ER and we're sitting there just kind of like it sounds I'm not trying to dramatize the whole situation by saying I'm just thinking about, okay, well, what happens if I never come out of here? But, like, the thought goes through your head when you can't explain a, a physical pain in your body and it feels like it's coming from your heart. Um, so just the whole couple hours of being in there before the doctors gave me some medication and took a, like an echocardiogram was interesting to say the least and uh, and I found out I remember the first question I asked once I said I had pericarditis which is the inflammation of the membrane around your heart I was like well I got a a sprint just a triathlon in a week and the nurse just said no 
Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how severe or serious it was. So I couldn't exercise for, for a couple months, um, which was a huge bummer because that was a big part of my life at the time to try to get through the whole music thing, not, not going according to plan with the guys going to college. And, uh, and then during that period of my life, I, uh, I was kind of as far from the dream of music as I'd ever been. So I was like, okay, I might not actually do anything with music. That's cool. What would I do? I started kind of making lists and I was reading a lot. I had all these goals. I was going to do my first half marathon in January of the next year. I was going to do a hundred mile bike ride in November. I was going to read 22 books before I turned 23. Um, did you, you make that? All these, I did. Um, I made all these goals, which was cool. It was a really awesome point in my life. And, uh, and at the point where I was kind of furthest away from trying to realize music as a dream, and I was, I was going to be, I was going to work at my uncle's company, which is called Vision Quest, which deals with like at-risk teenagers, which is a really great company. Or two, I was going to go to culinary school because I thought I really liked to cook a whole lot. Or three, I was going to try to become a personal trainer. Um, and in this process, I was writing a lot, reading a lot, uh, not playing any music. And it all kind of clicked one day, super suddenly, where before this moment, I was always about 90 to 95% committed to the idea of playing music for my life, um, which is not a two-seat-in feeling because any setback you have, that 5% creeps up and you don't get anywhere because you don't really push through it. You wait till you feel motivated again to like do music. So it wasn't a very, seeing 95% committed to music is definitely not enough. Mm. Um, and I did my first 10 mile run, um, in Washington, DC, which is the first double digit run I ever did while my friend was at work. Um, so now the reason I was down there was because we got tickets to see the dirty projectors that night who had become my favorite band over the past few months. And I became obsessed with those guys. So this particular night, it was like October of 2010, maybe. And I did the 10 mile run. My friends at work, I'm feeling like I can do anything. I come back inside. I pick up his little guitar he's got in his, in his apartment. I call my friend Christian, who is now he's a singer at St. Rich, who's a music buddy. And I just remember going and feeling this motivation like, hey, I think I'm going to make my record. Because at this point, I was only producing my friend's records and being with this, you know, starting this label and never really thinking that as a guitar player, I could do it. I had enough tools to be able to do what I wanted to do. I felt like, oh, I needed a singer. I needed to be in a band. 
So I felt this moment just kind of hit me. Uh, solitary projectors. Uh, and I was blown away. Met Nat, the bass player, after the show. I was like, you know, awestruck that he was a nice, normal person because he, that was the first moment of some musical hero being uh, accessible. Whereas, like, growing up in the I mean, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, there's no way you're going to be able to talk to them. Even right. though you love them. So, Matt, totally friendly, talks to me, asks me at one point, do you play music too? And I kind of froze and said, yeah, I'm in a band, but it's not really a band, but I make a records and it's an art thing. And, and I was so bummed that I couldn't just give him a CV. Um, so the earlier moment in the day, coupled with that moment, uh, was enough. And the next day I started making what would become Wonder Vision, but at that time it was only just a folder on my computer, you know, with these random songs, which are so insane. I never thought it'd be an album. I was just making, I didn't even know what I was doing, but <laughs> Christian came over that day and we co-wrote the Ballad of Second Pebble, which is the first song, you know, for those made for Delicate Seas. So we did that in like an hour and I made the record in a month, uh, found a name for it, uh, self-released it, which is another depressing thing to dump a grand in and get your like thousand records back, CDs back, and you're like, what did I just do this for? But then <laughs> everybody was so encouraging along the way. All my friends were like, it looked great. I was like, this cover looks stupid, you know. <laughs> I got all this stuff down, but everybody's really helped motivate me. I gave Matt a, a CD uh, at a solo show he played um, in New York and Dave, the singer from New Projectors, knowing that they'd never listened to it and they probably got CDs all the time and, you know, whatever. I just felt like I had to do it um, to, to complete the you know, what had been started about a month and a half ago. And I gave it to him. And then, you know, a month later, I heard back that they both loved it. And it blew my mind. And from then on, it was just, that's kind of like that period of my life starting with that whole heart thing was like what totally brought about this three-year, four-year phase of my life. So it was an awesome, awesome time. Uh, to be figuring stuff out. And, and your heart is fine now? There's no way it, it will happen again? Or And was it a an athletic thing? Were you, like, too trained? Over no, it, it, uh, I think it was a viral thing. I think it could have been caused by Lyme disease, which I soon found out that I had. Um, and it's happened, but it's happened since. Uh, once or twice, uh, I had to go back to the hospital, and it's just a pain in the butt. Scary and annoying, and um, I thought it was happening again this summer, but so I went back in, and I did the test, it looked fine, but I, I think it was acid reflux, uh, which has been causing similar sensation, 
Um, so it's still, it's not gone from my mind, uh, which isn't a bad thing because, you know, um, it's cool to remember most of the time that your body's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it isn't a, it's still, every now and then I still think about it, ever feel, you know, discomfort there. Maybe the rest of the population would just not think anything of it if you got like a, a toothache, you know, you don't dwell on it. But because of the experiences I've had, I tend to start thinking right about that. Um, hmm. So yeah, it's still, it's still, it's still there, but I can do everything I, I can exercise completely. It was not about overexerting myself. Um, and yeah, I try to stay in shape. That's the best thing I could do anyway. Well, what kind of physical practice do you have? I know that you, you meditate and you yoga or do yoga. How much do you run and... And how much does that um, influence and affect your music, do you think? Well, getting into yoga around the time of all of the stuff I was just telling you about uh, was another direct influence for Wonder Vision because I had this yoga teacher at my YMCA um, that I would do a class with three times a week. And it was life-changing. It just it made my body feel great. Um, but not only that, the idea of this guy was really new agey, kind of cheesy, um, would say things that just made me kind of cringe at how, hmm. you know, connect with your source and all this stuff. <laughs> it was kind of ridiculous, but as I was laughing, as half of me was laughing at how absurd what he was saying was, the other half of me in this part of the class was really totally feeling it with my body and I was connecting with something and it was just an amazing moment. And I liked the idea that um, this, of this thing that in one way could be taken very lightly if you wanted to or if you only felt it in that in that kind of dimension of just it's a joke it's whatever or if you were open or looking for it you could feel another thing on a deeper level and because what you were saying was just totally silly um, but I was also feeling a lot of uh, what he was describing in a weird way it's kind of one of those things where words just get in the way of if you say you connect with your source, somebody, it's, it's not really what, you know, you can't really say what that actually, I don't know what I'm trying to say explaining this. But anyway, that, that. <laughs> the, the, the Tao that can be expressed is not the total Tao. <laughs> yeah. You get, it can't be put in the words. Well, what is the yeah. really, what is the things that are really inspiring you right now as far as music, films, books, et cetera? Um, music, um, I always start to think about this for some reason. I, uh, I've been really into Tom Petty this year. For, for, you know, out of the blue, I got into Tom Petty. Um, never 
never vibe with that whole aesthetic or pace at which he operated. And it's just been a transitional, another transitional uh, couple of months for me, which has been really cool. And something just happened where I just clicked and I have been obsessed with Tom Petty and on Tom Petty kick. Uh, so that's, that's been about the biggest musical discovery I've had recently. Um, my friends give me books all the time. Since that period where I read 22 books, you know, as I was reading in the course of a year, I haven't really been as into reading as I was, and it's disappointing. So I've only been skimming, skimming books and getting inspired here and there, but I'm looking for another book to come along. And oh, you should start listening to audiobooks on your runs. That's what people have been saying. i got to get into that. It's it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely got to check that out. Seen any good movies lately? Good movies. Um, recently I saw... Uh, I'm not a big movie guy either. That's something I'm trying to get into now. I just... You know, I've seen a lot of movies, but I just that's, don't that's actively... That's interesting to me. That's interesting because your your music feels so cinematic to me sometimes. Yeah, I bet you get asked to do a soundtrack here in the next year or two or, <laughs> or so. I would love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I uh, just as a for some reason movies and my personality they just never went well together. Like. I'm going to sit down and watch this thing and spend the next two hours of my life sitting down and watching this, even though I'll do that making music or listening to records. But something about that is like a block in my head where it prevents me from. This coming from the guy who's doing his interview as he's he's on his run. Yeah. So this is so, a, syn- a synchronicity show, and we're we're nearing the end of it. But all interviews interviewers ask you about your infamous press release bio that music writer Chuck Klosterman did for you guys, and you know that's fascinating and interesting. But for for our point of view, we're we're curious about the nonlinear connections that he may have made. So was he somehow able to? tap into your essence by not even by making something completely up? Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> and all the other guys in the band that got to, you know, band member bios at the time, uh, emailed something from all of our, all of our hands. Did, you know, is, purportedly he did no research. He just made it all up. Yeah, there was no way he would. It, it was totally fabricated, but he just got a little bit of all of our essence in there. And there's so, no, yeah, no, no way he would have been able to research any of those things. So, <laughs> what do you make of that? I don't know. I mean, these moments happen all of the time in my life. You know, talking about synchronistic band on tour with Doctor Dog, who's a band I heard two songs with Folk Bar from, you know, six years ago. We played one show together, and I did my record, and now. You know, we're buddies, and that's happened 
a thousand times in my life to the point where I met Paul Simon last year and I went, oh yeah, I took a pee next to you when I was nine at a Yankees World Series game. And, and he's going, oh yeah, my son played, played me your music. And it's just, it's just happening all the time. It doesn't feel, it just feels like it's a giant. I don't even know. You're like intertwined with the people before you even meet them. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's, it's weird and the coolest thing ever. I wouldn't want it to be any other way. Is there a sense of destiny in that somewhere? Uh, I mean, it just already feels like this is what I should be doing. And if I ever doubt it, I can kind of get back to the headspace I need to be in. Um, so when those moments happen, it's not like those are the things that I'm that I'm going, oh, I know I'm on the right path. It's just when those moments happen, I'm already feeling that way. And it just, those moments just make me laugh now. There's a whole group of people who say that the whole intention of synchronicity is to spread joy. Would you agree with that? I, Can you give you the giggles? I don't know. I mean, the whole thing gives me the giggles. Yeah. I don't know. I never thought about it like an intention of of synchronicity or synchronicity having having an intention, but yeah, I mean when you look at it that way, it's I mean there's all of the moments that I feel are really weird and intertwined in some weird way. They definitely that's the that would be the emotion that I get from it is joy. It's not like a sense of uh, purpose so much as it is just like this is really silly and hilarious and awesome. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you guys for for having me. And you know, your music does give us a certain amount of joy, so thank you for what you do as well. Ah, well, thanks for thanks for listening. All of our listeners out there, you've been listening to Steve Marion on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. More information about the work of Delicate Steve can be found at delicatesteve.com or the band's Facebook page. For more information about The Sync Book, our guests, to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. If you'd like to support the show, we urge you to become a donor. You'll find the donation links under each episode on the website and perhaps consider setting up a monthly charge. Heartfelt thanks to those of you who have donated. You are keeping us going, and as you can tell, we're giving you more. Thanks so much. In Idaho, add the words. (laughs) 